Welcome to our worship from Seal Church, led by me, Canon Anne Labar, and a very happy Christmas to you. As always, the hymn which ends our service is sung by the choristers of St Martin in the Fields. During the season of Christmas and Epiphany, we remember that Jesus is called Emmanuel, which means God is with us. His name reminds us that even though we may be separated from one another, we are united in God who holds us all in his hands. And so we pray. Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hidden, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name through Christ our Lord. Amen. Eternal God, who made this most holy night to shine with the brightness of your one true light, bring us who have known the revelation of that light on earth to see the radiance of your heavenly glory. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who is alive and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. The first reading is from the letter to the Hebrews, chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. Long ago God spoke to our ancestors in many and various ways by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by a Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also created the worlds. He is the reflection of God's glory and the exact imprint of God's very being and he sustains all things by his powerful word. When he had made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. A reading from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, beginning at the first verse. In those days a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration and was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. All went to their own towns to be registered. 
Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David called Bethlehem, because he was descended from the house and family of David. He went to be registered with Mary, to whom he was engaged and who was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for her to deliver her child, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in bands of cloth and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. In that region there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Saviour, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace among those whom he favours. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go now to Bethlehem, and see this thing that has taken place, which the Lord has made known to us. So they went with haste, and found Mary and Joseph, and the child lying in the manger. When they saw this, they made known what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured all these words and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. In the name of God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. It came upon the midnight clear, that glorious song of old, from angels bending near the earth to touch their harps of gold, Peace on the earth, good will to men, from heaven's all-gracious King. The world in solemn stillness lay to hear the angels sing. Every Christmas night service I've taken at Seal since I arrived in the parish 18 years ago has begun with that carol. I inherited the tradition from my predecessor here, and I've no idea how far back it goes. But working on the principle of if it ain't broke, don't fix it, I've never felt the urge to do anything different. It's a good place to begin. A pro profound prayer for peace, calling us all to hush the noise, ye men of strife, and women too, so that we can hear God's message. It was written by a Unitarian minister, Edmund Hamilton Sears, in Wayland, Massachusetts. Sears imagines angels singing not just to the shepherds, but to the whole world announcing a new way of peace to anyone who'll listen. But it's a carol tinged with sadness too, because men and women hear not the love song which they bring. Sears wrote it in 1851, a decade before the American Civil War, at a time when tensions were already mounting as states took different positions on the abolition of slavery. It didn't take a genius to see that trouble was brewing. This year, once again, we're confronted daily with scenes of warfare, 
nearly 175 years after Sears wrote his carol, nothing much seems to have changed. It's as easy for us to despair in our weary world as it was for the people of his time. And the fact that one of today's wars is being fought out in the land where Jesus was born seems to have added an extra edge for some people. Some churches have decided to mute their Christmas celebrations this year in solidarity with the Christians of the Holy Land, most of whom are ethnically Palestinian. Bethlehem's own world-famous public worship in Manger Square has been abandoned this year too. No one had the stomach for it. And one Lutheran church in Bethlehem, instead of the conventional crib scene, has created one out of rubble, like the rubble in which so many children, Palestinian and Jewish, have died this year. The Christ child lies in the midst of the ruins, as vulnerable as them. Some churches across the world, too, have decided to leave one of the candles in the Advent wreath unlit, the second one which traditionally symbolises peace. How can we light it, they say, when there is no peace in the land where Jesus was born? At Seal, though, that wasn't the decision I made. In fact, if anything, it seemed even more important than usual to me to light that candle of peace this year. Firstly, because the candle is a prayer for peace, not a self-satisfied statement that we already have it. But also because if we didn't light it this year, when could we light it? There's never been a Christmas when men and women haven't been at war with each other. Should it have stayed unlit last year because of the outbreak of war between Russia and Ukraine? What about Yemen? where the fighting has lasted nine years and shows no sign of abating, or any of the other places in the world where people are maiming and terrorising and killing each other, and have been in some cases for decades. And of course, the world into which Jesus was born was no less war-torn. He was born in an occupied country. According to Luke's story, it was an arbitrary ruling by the Roman emperor, their oppressor which sent Mary and Joseph on the trek from Nazareth to an overcrowded Bethlehem to be counted. And Quirinius, the Roman governor of the area who gets a name check in the story and who implemented the census locally, was a brutal military leader, not a pen-pushing civil servant. The Romans promised peace to the nations they conquered, the Pax Romana, But all it really consisted of was clamping down on internal divisions or skirmishes between neighbouring countries under their rule. That might have been welcomed by some, especially those whose economic interests it served, but peace which is enforced at the point of a sword. Peace which is maintained by keeping people in fear through public demonstrations of cruelty like gladiatorial games isn't really a peace worth having. The peace which the angels proclaim is very different. And the fact that it's proclaimed first to a bunch of shepherds out in the middle of nowhere tells us that. They're ordinary people, nameless people, people with no influence in the world, no seat at the table of power, no voice in international diplomacy. 
All they can do when they hear the song of the angels is to let it change their own lives, which it seems to do. And yet that is enough. In Luke's Gospel, they stand for and point towards those whose lives will be changed by the adult Jesus. He'll continue to spend his time disproportionately with those who have no worldly influence. A rather random bunch of fishermen, tax collectors and prostitutes will form the core of his followers. He'll welcome children, telling people that they have vital things to teach us about the kingdom of God. He'll choose women to be the first to bear witness to his resurrection, despite the fact that women weren't trusted as witnesses in a court of law. It seems like a ridiculous strategy for changing the world. And yet here we are, 2,000 plus years later, far away from Jesus' homeland, still telling their stories, still finding inspiration in them, still being changed by them. People are still challenged by the Jesus they meet in the pages of the Bible, the Jesus they meet in worship, the Jesus they meet in one another. They're challenged to love their neighbours as themselves, to love their enemies and pray for those who persecute them, to see themselves and all people as beloved by God, to feed the hungry and work for a world in which no one is hungry. We don't always manage to live up to that challenge, of course. That's why the global peace and justice we long for is so elusive. But it's Jesus' words we keep returning to. Jesus' words which so stubbornly challenge us, not the decrees of the Emperor Augustus or Quirinius, the Roman big shot, about whom most people, let's face it, now know nothing at all. Confronted with the pervasiveness of human suffering and sin that we see around us, we can easily feel despair. What can we do about it? We feel swallowed up by the darkness. Yet, as the anthropologist Margaret Mead once said, never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has. The Christmas story is a powerful reminder of that truth. Anonymous shepherds, foreign magi from distant lands, a peasant couple only just married, too recently to be respectable, and at the centre of it all, an infant. Infans literally means unable to speak. What hope is there that their stories can make a difference? None, humanly speaking. And yet, with the help of God, by the grace of God, they have made a difference and will continue to do so. The light of Christ isn't, in the end, one big blazing fireball. It's billions of tiny, flickering flames, held in your hands, held in mine, kindled whenever and wherever we show the love of God. And ultimately, the darkness can never overcome that kind of light. Amen. And so we bring our prayers to God and we pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. 
and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, for ever and ever. Amen. Christ, who by his incarnation gathered into one things earthly and heavenly, fill you with peace and goodwill, and make you partakers of the divine nature, and the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit, be among you and remain with you always. Amen.